Hello, AOC listener, and welcome to our show. A tiny sellout time before we get started. It means so much if you spread the word about the Art of Comics, rate it highly in your preferred app, or send the link to your pals. And, should you wish to financially support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash jaws underscore stone. Thank you. In today's episode, we're discussing Barbarous, which is written by Aneth Hirsch, illustrated by Yuka Ota, and colored by J.N. Weedle. We cover the five first chapters, and as always, we go full spoiler. This is a comic you can read for free, by the way, by visiting johnnywanderer.com. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y-W-A-N-D-E-R.com. So go check it out! The mood board for reading Barbara's is as follows. Prepare a tangy cocktail or a citrusy tea and find a bright day to safely enjoy the heat of the sun. Put on some light-hearted video game music and soak in the vibes. Let's get urban fantasy! Hi, I'm Paul Duffield, a comic creator who has just filed his taxes and is feeling much better about life. Hi, I'm Joss Stone, and my current hyperfixation is a long dead singer called Peter Steele, so, you know, that's the gutter you can find me in. When you're out of options and out on the street, the last thing you expect is to be taken in by a mysterious landlady and her monstrous familiar, but it might be exactly what you need to confront your past and start to discover who you are. Barbarous is a surprising mix of slice-of-life shenanigans and high magic that leaves you wondering who the real monster is. Sometimes, making a blurb for the show is as straightforward as the comic we talk about. Other times, it isn't straightforward at all, just like Barbarous. This comedy drama about a spellcaster and a monster is a bit all over the place, just like this blurb. Straight out the gate with the cast, we have Percy slash Persephone, who is the main protag, and she's some sort of mage. And then we have Leeds, who's the sidekick, and he is what in the comic is known as a familiar. And then we have Cecilia, who is the tenant slash boss, and I would dare say that is the base crux of the cast that we need to worry about for the five volumes. There are side characters sprinkled in here and there, but these are the main I think we'll just come around to discussing the other characters as we discuss them. Yeah. So I had a bit of a wild ride with the first 10 pages of this comic. So for context, I was reading the webcomic version. Jaws has already got the collected editions that she's been holding on to, waiting to read for this podcast. When I began reading, I noticed that there was a writer and an artist uh, attached to it. We've reviewed comics before where that hasn't made a difference at all to how good the storytelling is. And we've read comics where we really think it has made a difference. And in this, I was a little bit like, oh, is it going to matter? Is it not? Is the storytelling going to be on point? For some reason, in the first 10 pages, the comic is absolutely stuffed with egregious transition errors. I, like, I can go over them one by one. And I was like, oh, no, it's, it's happening again. It's happening again. I'm not, I'm not gelling with this. And then they just went away around page 16. It's a little, little chunk in the middle where it comes back again for a small amount of time. But other than that, the read was fantastic for me, just in terms of like how fast and smoothly it all skipped along. And then I went back because I was thinking, is this, am I doing a Prince and the Dressmaker thing again? <laughs> and read the first 10 pages again. And I was like, no, they are really there. What's going on? I, I just don't know what it, what it is with those first 10 pages, but the rest of it was great. Really enjoyed it. Okay, okay, interesting. How about you? 
So this was a first read for both of us, even though I suggested it. I had only seen the art and I went, that is fucking scrumptious. I need to read this no matter what the story. I don't care if this is a story about football or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> I want to read this. And I got to say, side note, I read the three first volumes physical editions that I own and then today when I went to the cafe I just brought my iPad with me and I read the rest as the webcomic because I wanted to get a little bit of your experience mm. and I want to say holy macaroni do I not enjoy reading webcomics on a webcomic page <laughs> and if I might be so fucking forward for a second that page is so goddamn cluttered and so unfriendly to read on the comic is just like a tiny little square on a much bigger page, and it's drowned down in notifications and stuff like this. It really highlighted what I never enjoyed about webcomics, which is that for every three pages, there's like a, sorry for the lack of updates, or we're traveling to a convention, and I'm sitting there like, ah, oh, this is taking me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had exactly the same experience with that website. It is not a good webcomic website. Add to that, I don't know if you had the same problem, but when you get to the end of a chapter and press next, half of the time it seemed to load a completely different comic in by the same creators, like an autobio comic or one of their earlier works. And I had to end up with like the whole webcomic archive up in one tab, going back to the first page of each chapter and opening it up when I got to a new chapter. Not a great experience. Like, can I just say, if you're thinking of designing your own webcomic site, you have to have a full screen mode or no borders on your website. It's just a must for readability. I suspect that the pages that you stumble across are filler stuff between chapters. And it just, it's just cluttered. It's unnecessary in my humble opinion. I get that this is the dichotomy with webcomics. It's such a different ballpark when it comes to delivering a comic because you rely on making money, you rely on selling merch, getting people to your patrons, etc, etc. I respect the hustle, I just fucking hate participating in it. <laughs> and I, I will <laughs> die on the hill that that webpage is not good. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it's from the early 2000s, I've got to be honest. Like, there are web rings in it. You can't go on full screen. It's got the old school first and last buttons that don't really go to the first and last page half the time. It's very old-fashioned. And there was a part of me that was feeling some intense nostalgia at the irritation. <laughs> I've been very vocal about the fact that I don't enjoy webcomics, and this is a huge reason for it. Again, I can't stress enough. I respect the hustle. I understand that it has to be there. I just think there, especially in this day and age, are a more clever way of resolving that. And I also firmly believe that, fine, you make like in-between chapters or in-between pages updates about going to a convention or something. Go back and remove that later, maybe, when that's, that was something that happened back in, I don't know, 2016. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, because it just doesn't mean anything after a while. This is why when I set about making my first webcomic, which I designed the website like 10 years ago, I wanted to have a website where you could scroll the entire comic from top to bottom in one go and just carry on scrolling. I think webcomics have evolved since this website was made. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's people sitting there going, Okay, that was an epic tangent about absolutely fucking nothing because it's kind of not relevant to my thoughts on the comic itself. But I will say it did taint the latter half of my reading experience. And it's relevant. I think the format that you read in is really, really important. 
in the same vein, talking about format, you might go, but Jaws, if you have the physical editions, why didn't you just bring that to the cafe? And I would, if the physical editions weren't as long as the fucking elephant trunk. They are in such an awkward print format. They are huge. I'm gonna take a photo of my hand and arm on top of the volumes. Whoa, okay, so they're like bigger than A4. Yep. It's an awkward format. Again, this is probably a taste thing, and I'm sure they have their own reasons for printing. In this size, I think it's very not friendly for most readers, if I'm perfectly honest. It's probably just trying to sell them as, like, effectively turn them into art books for people who've already read the webcomic, I would guess. I might wait until they do, like, a bound-up hardback of this, in that case, because that's inevitably coming at some point. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop buying these and just settle for the same, because, yeah. I will say, though, finally, 10 fucking minutes into this episode, that I am very torn on this comic. I think the art is probably some of the most beautiful comic art I've ever seen, personally. I really jive with it. It is so deliciously diverse. It is tactile, yet stylized and simplified. It shows so much fucking tact and finesse. I can't praise this art enough. Like, I could sit here doing positive synonyms for the rest of the night and never, never run out of good praise to say about the art of this comic. I love it. I love it. With that said, I think the writing leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm right there with you on the artwork. It's so good. And it's interesting, we've been discussing colouring in comics for the last couple of episodes. And I think this is one of those comics where, and I can pick out some specific examples, colours are used to actually tell story in a really nice way. And I can point to pages which would be like, that wouldn't work as well in grayscale. You know, you've really used the colour there Mm -hmm. as part of guiding the eye or portraying emotions or whatever it happens to be. Really beautiful job. And there are some pages I just stopped at and like, had my jaw on the floor and was uh, in this sort of weird way that I can't put my finger on as well because there are there are comics that really wow and stun but there was something so quietly and consistently competent about this art that even when you got to those kind of prestige pages it's just all been so damn good that they almost slip you by for a second until you stop and you'd go back and you're like how good was that holy crap to that point they actually have a colorist Like, the artist is no one doing the colors. So the fact that they're able to marry the drawings with the colorings to this degree, just, it speaks volumes of the talent of these two people. Yeah, damn. I mean, that's some absolute top-notch coloring. Yeah. Like, really, really gorgeous. Like, so sympathetic to the lines. Really, really lovely sense of volume. And, I mean, that's what, even when you get a colorist who has an incredible palette, they often don't have a good sense of volume. So whenever they try and do shading, it subtly undermines the sense of shape in the art um, because they didn't draw it. They don't understand how the line work is supporting the shape of the thing that they're describing. And they can accidentally undermine it, even with the smallest decisions. But not a hint of that in this. Top notch. Yeah, it's almost ironic that you say that the colors itself work as storytellers here because the colors marry so much better with the lines than the storytelling does, Imo, like the written storytelling. Yeah. There were parts of this comic, like I mentioned, where I was just in it. I didn't think about it twice. Mm -hmm. I just went through it. The storytelling felt natural. And then parts when it was suddenly very awkward, weird non-contextual leaps. I tried to go back and put my finger on what the difference between those two segments were. I realized that when this comic is being slice of lifey, 
the storytelling really settles down and the characters start to shine through and I start to feel a sense of the relationships and the pacing works and the panel transitions work. And then when it tries to go like full fantasy or full action, suddenly that breaks down and I'm left going, huh, what the what now? What just happened? Who's what, what's going on here? That's not to say that the story itself is bad, but the way that it's delivered sort of leaves something to be desired in those moments. Yeah, I made a note saying at times the world building is so matter-of-factly, while other times it's very confusing. Yeah. Because sometimes you get the sense that, oh, this is a world that the creator has really thought about. And then you go maybe five pages down the line, you go... Never mind, this makes zero sense, at least to the reader. It is not introduced in any sensical way. And again, I can't stress this enough. People who have listened for some time now know that I fucking hate me some exposition dump hey so that's not what i'm craving here but just the way that some characters are introduced uh, i don't know if you can call them like i guess antagonist is better than villain one of the antagonists is introduced just like straight there you know it feels like you're just walking down the street and suddenly a dude just runs into you and then he's your antagonist that's what it feels like yeah that's the beginning of chapter five right i've got a big note here just saying how did we get here who is this he'd already been introduced and i still had to take a moment because we leapt from one situation to an entirely different one and it felt like i'd missed about 10 pages or something yeah i made another note saying because of the economics of web comics a lot of info is jammed together in panels to save time and the information I'm talking about is both text, but also visual information. So you have some panels that are just so beautiful and they really flow. And then you have other panels where I go, I don't understand the direction here. I don't really understand what is going on. Who is knocking on the door? Who is sending a text? I get it. It's a webcomic. You don't have endless budgets to make these. But it is so weirdly clumsy at times. What's weird is the juxtaposition between the quality and the clumsiness. And I think this is something that you only get when you have an artist write a team, to put it bluntly. Because, yeah, there's an economy to webcomics. And yeah, there's an economy to comics in general. But I feel, just looking at this, like they've overcome that economy with either sheer effort of will or some excellent financial situation that allows them to really pour time into this because it is a labor-intensive comic. It's fully colored, beautifully rendered, artists top-notch all the way through. It doesn't drop in quality at any given point. I think literally the only thing holding this back, I would guess, is the script. I mean, it could be that the artist also wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable pacing and directing their own comics outside of having a script and usually speaking if you do have an artist write a pair that that can be the case but again like the experience of reading it was that the majority of the comic was fine and then every now and again these big sort of accidental sucker bunches of just not getting where you were or not getting some basic thing about what was going on come in and I still enjoyed it despite that I could probably sort of over-focus on the faults a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. And again, we are doing so many really fucking high-tier comics for the show. There's yeah. an endless array of really fucking good comics. So when someone stumbles a little bit, it's very visible. I do, however, think, though, since storytelling... Not, not to sound like that fucking guy, but since storytelling is my passion... <laughs> I get very easily distracted when storytelling is clumsy. It kind of strikes me as this writer 
haven't gotten proper feedback. This feels like a very beloved story from the creators, and maybe it didn't have enough input from someone who could go, hey, this part isn't clear, or what are you trying to tell here? Because I do think this could do with one or more two pages, or even panels, just like evening this transition out a little bit. Yeah. I, I really get the sense that there hasn't been that friendly little voice on the shoulder giving very helpful feedback, because with that, I do think it would shine so much stronger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we might be having an, an instance where they have an editor and the editor hasn't picked up on these things, but I think a really good editor would, would turn this from an excellent comic into like an outstanding one. I'll go over the first few pages just because I've been wanting to ever since the beginning just to highlight some of this stuff. So I'm going to start on page one. We've got two panels. And if you've never read this comic before, these are ostensibly two different characters. And I struggled with this because they look really similar. They've got exactly the same facial shape. We learn later it's the same character at two different times of her life. And I know now why there's that juxtaposition between the two of them, because the story goes on to talk about different versions of the character and she even meets herself later. But as a reader, for the first time, it's just confusing because you're seeing what looks like a non-sequitur translation between two completely different people who look similar enough to give you pause. And then go on to the next page. We are in a train carriage. Somebody steals a bag, but the transition in the bottom two panels between the dude who steals the bag and the stealing of the bag is so broad and so fragmented that you have to take a beat to realize that it's him and that he's taken that specific bag. Because you only, again, you only catch a little glimpse of the bag, you only catch a little glimpse of his face, and in the following panel, you can only see his hand. So you've got to go off the color of his jumper to realize what happened. And on to the next page. The main character, with a remarkably similar bag, runs right out of the carriage as the doors are closing and gets her bag caught in the doors. But the panel where she gets her bag caught in the doors is set in a different colour. So all you get to see is the straps of the bag, not the colour of the bag. At that point, I was like, whose bag is this? Is it the main character's bag that got caught in the door? Or did somehow the thief's bag get caught in the door? And then the next panel is such a huge leap. She's suddenly down the stairs going into kind of an underpass in the train station and someone's holding the door open for her. But I completely missed the door being held open for her. You don't get to see that she managed to squeeze her bag out of the gap with suddenly 10 beats down the line. And I'll sum up the rest of them, which is that she begins using these magic powers, which we have never been introduced to. We don't know what they do. We don't know how they function. They appear to be kind of symbolized by something that almost looks like fabric around her arm. So I was thinking maybe they're kind of like telekinetic powers being visualized. And she tries to grab the bag off the person who's running with it using these telekinetic powers, or so I thought. And that's visualized by these pink swooshes. And it's only after all of this has happened that I realized that I meant to understand that that's fire and that she's accidentally burnt his bag up. So there's a joke that doesn't land at all because I was just thinking, oh, nice telekinetic powers. But I was meant to be understanding the bag is burning. And that was my experience with the first 10 pages. I was just like, what is going on? Yeah, you are 100% right. And everything you described, I followed along on the pages as you described. And you put it very well. All that confusion was present with me too. I will say, I do get what they're trying to do. They're trying to do the sprint out the door beginning where you just go straight to it. But because of all of the things you explain, you're just sitting there going, Art, I don't, a lot of this isn't clear. While I personally enjoyed the way they establish her magic, it's still surrounded by the confusion of the lead up that 
I think if the beginning had been drawn clearer that she was chasing a bag thief and then started using the same kind of magic, I do think it would land better. All of these are incredibly fixable problems. We could have sorted it out with one line of dialogue and three insert panels. It really wouldn't have been hard. And maybe a different colouring choice on one of those panels. One of the very few moments that the colouring undermines the storytelling. I feel like I am harsher on the story than you are, because I really struggle getting into this. Like you mentioned, the marriage between slice of life and fantasy doesn't work at all, in my humble opinion. Not because I don't enjoy the elements, because holy fucking shit, do I love me some slice of life with otherworldly elements. I mean, that's what one of my stories is going to be about if I ever fucking make it. So this genre is right up my alley. I just think another one of my biggest pet peeves is I really do not enjoy the dynamic of these two characters. And that, I assume, is highly subjective. Ah, interesting. Because I quite did. That was uh, one of the things I liked about it. Okay, I'm very glad to hear that so we can have a discussion back and forth. Since I was rather annoyed most of the time. I don't like Percy as a character, and that's fine. I don't have to, and that's not a fault to writing or anything. But she is inherently unlikable in the beginning, in my opinion, and that's fine. My gripe is more that she keeps being a right fucking cunt to leads for too long, to the point where I find it very hard to understand why leads fucking bother. And I made a note like, is this how normal people communicate? Is this just like, and inherently my my big kink in this world is communication. So when people behave like this towards one another, which is Percy is incredibly aggressive and she challenges leads. She kind of eggs him on half the time where it seems like they're about to have a sincere moment together of opening up and becoming friends. Then he becomes vulnerable. And the way she responds to that is like, oh my God, TMI, you're gross. I don't like you. Get the fuck out of here. And she's being such a fucking bitch to the point where if I was lead, I'd be like, well, this girl, the Lulu, I'm out of here. Yeah. So I've got some interesting thoughts on this. But before that, I wanted to make a little observation about the whole thing, which is that the storytelling, especially the characterization of all of the characters, reminded me a lot of Brian Lee O'Malley's storytelling. Yes. And Brian Lee O'Malley's stories. Yes. But the setting... The kinds of characters, the kinds of things that they maybe that they've been through or the delicacy behind that Brian Lee O'Malley presentation actually reminded me of your writing. It had this weird mix of having this sort of over the top, incredibly kind of cartoonish and in the case of most of the sub characters, almost completely one dimensional character representations with actually some really nice subtle character writing and some interesting character setup and some really interesting characters I want to get to know. And this sort of environment that they've been put together in a sort of a slice of lifey way. So I was so fascinated to know how you'd react to it, knowing that it had <laughs> a bunch of stuff that I knew you loved in it and a bunch of stuff that I knew you'd really not get on with in it. Yeah, it's it's a weird smorgasbord. And I think this is why this is going to be an episode where I just sound like an angry cunt most of the time. And I think it is disappointment because this comic has so much that I fucking love. It has monsters. It has slice of life. It has magic. It has urban fantasy. It's just so much that I want to bite my teeth into. And then you take a bite of the peach and it's sour. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, it's even so far as potentially a semi-romance going uh-huh. on in a, 
like inner close quarters. Yes, there's even a fucking carbon scene in here. Right, yeah, yeah. And they're thrown together by living in the same flat. And then they were roommates. It has the perfect recipe for me just sitting in a corner and fapping vigorously. (laughs) It feels like someone has chosen your favorite setups and then put your least favorite character dynamics into that setup. You know, when people talk about their favorite OTP (laughs) dynamics, where, you know, they're really into the overbearing tiny person and the meek large person. And that's exactly this. It feels like somebody chose their favorite OTP dynamic and then wrote a story around it. I did enjoy their characters. And I think the reason I did is because of the owner of the flat, who acts in this incredibly kind of over-the-top mysterious way like she even tells them how she's being mysterious sometimes <laughs> i quite like the humor surrounding that character i agree she was the one who effectively chose to try and keep them together because she's realized that whilst they rub at each other in the long term their character traits are going to bring out the best in each other and that teases us out on a slightly frustrating but slightly enjoyable process of them clashing and then settling down and then clashing and settling down but each time they do they learn a little bit more about each other and it's a little less egregious and they communicate a little bit better and we learn a little bit more about why they are stuck in this relationship as well like why one is drawn to the other why another is frightened of the other but compelled by them and it's a really interesting one because in in this plot familiars typically don't have any kind of sentience and the reason why they don't normally have sentience is because in this magical world the act of creating a familiar with sentience has been banned because you can magically compel them and they are so empathic that they feel compelled by everybody around them to do what the people around them want them to do and somehow Leeds has been able to go under the radar not get caught despite the fact that he's a forbidden kind of familiar and it seems to have something to do with the owner of the hotel I think she twigs that our lead character is going to somehow break that part of Leeds that feels compelled by other people, effectively by irritating him into getting angry rather than being passive. Yeah, everything you describe makes perfect sense, and I saw that too. However, I do think it all comes back to the pacing. There are, for me, huge pacing issues here, where I can really get behind the dynamic of someone being unbearable and egging on a much more likable character. I'm all here for that. That can be very fun. I mean, a very good example is Harrow and Gideon from the Locked Tomb books. It's just that in a book of a bajillion pages, you get the more logical pacing of what it actually means to interact together as those kind of people. Normally, I find it like a breach in logic that on the very next page, They go, oh, you want to have beer together (laughs) right after having a hot fight? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's where the issue with this entire presentation lies for me. It's not the fact that she is unlikable or the fact that he keeps her around. It's the time that is not there to let this feel organic. Yeah, it, it could do with being paced a bit slower. Maybe just like a new page every third page or something could, could really like turn it into a smoother experience. And again, like that pacing is often there to hook people into the story when their attention spans low, which is always the case on the web. Yet there are still some really nice moments where you really kind of just get the characters. And I think that it may be a low bar, 
but I've read so much where I just didn't understand the characters at all, you know? I think Bird King is probably a good example, harking back. I never really got a sense of who the characters Mm. were, how they felt and acted. There was no connection between them. But in this, I was never unclear. A perfect example is page 19. We've been told in absolute passing that Leeds lets people walk all over him. But we haven't seen it yet because he's actually been quite a domineering character, at least physically. The two characters have been set to do a task together, which is to do some tiling. And the last two panels on this page are just a perfect, really nicely illustrated moment of his character being walked all over. She's not doing anything horrible. She's just suggesting she uses her her magic to do the tiling. But he knows how badly her magic goes wrong. (laughs) His face when he's like, oh, go for it then, is just perfect. You're never in doubt about what they're like or about even the subtleties behind the long term of their relationship. And I think it's partly because the other characters are deliberately so simple. The three tenants that they see a lot of are a perfect example. I found them really funny and they were a great juxtaposition to a relatively fraught and reasonably intricate relationship between the main two characters. Again, it is very interesting to me that you said you enjoyed the three tenants. Because my note on them was like, does anyone in real life behave like this? <laughs> they're a no, very, no, they don't. <laughs> they're a very tropey character thing that I personally do not enjoy. But that's super fair. That's not to say that it's bad. It just isn't for me. I don't enjoy the two-dimensional portrayal that these characters bring to the thing. Another thing that you really made me aware of now, even though I still don't appreciate it that much, it is a very smart decision, I guess, to make them so over the top. I'm talking about the two main characters now, by the way. I think it is very smart to make them so over the top and readable. Because the pacing is the way it is, you immediately know who you have to deal with. Hmm, yeah. And I think that that style of writing, again, that's what reminded me of Brian Lee O'Malley. Mm. Quite often you come across characters in his storytelling and in this storytelling that they're just caricatures turned up to 11. And again, if you really like that kind of humor, then you'll get on with the story. But if you find it frustrating not really knowing who someone is underneath their archetype, then you won't get on with it. Yeah, and therein lies the jarring thing for me with this entire comic so far. And for clarification, we read five volumes, so we are not fully caught up or anything. So things might have improved or changed or whatever, I I wouldn't know. But my frustration is that I do not think the comedy blends well with the drama, kind of what we already mentioned, that the slice of life, which is the comedy part feels like a completely different story than the fantasy elements. And I think that's where my lack of enjoyment stems from. It feels imbalanced. And at one page, I'm supposed to laugh and be like, ah, this is so silly and funny and goofy. And then the next page, it's people committing actual magic crime. Something odd going on here, which is the core storyline is actually quite adult. Yeah. And a lot in the relationships and the sort of the core premise of someone coming to terms with being a very different person from who they were like two years ago kind of rubs oddly against humor that is quite childish. Now, I enjoy that kind of humor. It reminded me a lot of Little Witch Academia. But if Little Witch Academia wasn't aimed at, you know, 12-year-olds, if it was aimed more at kind of like 18 to 25-year-olds or something, I kind of got on with it. And it's one of the things that I enjoyed about the comic. 
it sounds like that's where we diverge most on this is our experience of the the humor and the slice of life which if you have listened to any other episodes it shouldn't come as a surprise that we have very different tastes in humor i am a pretentious little shithead and you are much more lighthearted in that regard so <laughs> i tend to sound very critical to something that i think a lot of people enjoy it just isn't for me i think it might partly come from the fact that like, my my day job is an art director at a children's comic and the kind of humor that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis there is fucking hilarious, but it's completely puerile or random or surreal. So everything feels sophisticated compared to that. <laughs> That's so fair. But then again, you're talking to the person who literally lays at 2 a.m. laughing my ass off at fart jokes. So you you would think fair enough. that this is the kind of stuff I jive with. It's just, I don't. I would recommend this to most people. I, I 100% would. I, again, I cannot go on enough about how beautiful it is. It is so <laughs> fucking incredibly well drawn. I just want to run into the streets and be like, hear ye, hear ye, the most beautiful comic I've ever seen. But I just didn't vibe with it. <laughs> oh, it's such a shame. And again, you know, despite the hiccups in storytelling from time to time, it's a really engaging story. You know, I want to find out more about Percy's past and who she was before. And I want to find out more about this Magic Academy. And despite the fact that there's some clumsy moments in world building, I feel like it errs enough on the subtle side that it builds up slowly enough that I've not been hit over the head with a million different terms and and ideas. Mm, mm. At the point we're at, I have a really strong idea of what the basics are, but I, I want to know more. Yeah, and another thing I want to tack on to that is this is a comic I really hope see completion. And when and if it does, I will read the whole thing. I want to sit down and read the whole thing back to back. And gods be willing that we still do this podcast then. Or maybe bring <laughs> it back from the grave just to revisit this and be like, so this is my final verdict now that I've read everything. Because it is kind of impossible to have a definite feeling or verdict over this when we haven't read the whole thing. Okay, highly recommended comic. It's great. It's just it seems to have uh, it seems to have triggered something in both Jaws and me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I also recommend it. Go read it. I mean, it's fucking free. So yeah, go read Barbara's. Yeah, absolutely. So next episode we will be reading. Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko by Hitoshi Ashinano. Apologies for anyone who thinks I'm being hyper indie weeb and refusing to give you the English name of a translated comic. This is what it's called in the translated version as well, but we will write it in the description of the podcast, so. (laughs) Great, I'm looking forward to it since this is your suggestion. Let's see what it's like. Yeah, see you for that. Bye. Bye. Oh my god, your blurs are so fucking fire lately. Mine are veering more and more into turbo trash. <laughs> Go on, full trash, full trash. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, my throat. You know, you haven't got sort of a physical copy inside you. Inside you? Oh my god. <laughs> Whoa! By the side of you. Someone got into that whole romance part of these two characters. <laughs> I'm just gonna shove this comic up my ass and read it that way. Um... <laughs> I'm gonna savor that little bit and use it as a blackmail. Put <laughs> <laughs> in the bloopers, I dare you. Um, 
I mean, I think it would be more insufferable to unsolicited come out of nowhere and ask somebody if they want to be edited. Oh. Can you imagine receiving that email? Oh God, I would literally hire a torpedo or something. I'd be like, fuck this person <laughs> sincerely and not consensually with a comic in the butt. A big manhunk-shaped gutter. <laughs> he had my entire world come undone, okay? <laughs> <laughs>